What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We are at episode eight of the Announcer Schedules podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Phil DeMont-Mollin is the face behind at Announcer Skeds, and he is with me for episode number eight. And uh, we're going to go through a plethora of topics today as uh, we are hitting kind of the, the summer months, getting ready for football season. College football is right around the corner. Uh, we'll hit some topics there. We've got salary-related stuff, which should be an interesting conversation. Uh, we've got some housekeeping all over the place college basketball college football major league baseball tennis just in the books we got golf this weekend tour de france premier league and uh our big guest this week mark kestisher the voice of the nba finals on espn radio so stick around for mark kestisher uh who is another one of our great conversations that we'll have we really enjoyed uh last week uh we had rick allen who just called the nascar race this weekend for nbc uh, we've had some other great ones, uh, Larry Colmus and um, John Forslin and Bob Wischusen. So if you missed any of our interviews, we single those out on the Sports Media Watch feed. Like, share, subscribe, rate, review, leave us messages. We've been getting a lot of messages, Phil, from some of the listeners, and uh, we'll address some of those today as well. How are you? Doing great. Yeah, really looking forward to talking to Mark Kessischer from ESPN Radio. And, hey, we keep on saying it. We're waiting for the uh, doldrums of summer, the slowdown, the dog days of summer, but it just doesn't work that way in the sports broadcasting news. Every single week, there's something new to talk about. Well, you figure they're getting ready for the seasons to start, so they're kind of dotting the I's, crossing the T's, fixing the loose ends. So I guess it makes some sense that this would be the busy season to get ready uh, for what should be an interesting NFL uh, and fall season. Well, speaking of NFL and fall season, 
One of the big stories this offseason, um, Bleacher Report just came out with the rankings of the NFL announcer salaries. And it's just kind of the genesis of why this podcast is born. These guys are making so much money because uh, they matter. They mean something. Uh, we can't quantify what they mean. Everybody always says, do you watch the game because of the broadcaster? Well, money talks, Phil, and it suggests that the networks think you are watching the games because these guys are there and they're making some big-time money. The rankings of the top seven were astronomical. Yeah, Bleacher Report came out with a ranking, and you know, I don't think it's completely uh, complete, and I'll explain that in a second, but they came up with the seven top announcer salaries that are going, the highest-paid announcers, and you know, I'll, I'll run through the list real quick here. Number seven was Mike Tirico, the new voice of NBC Sunday Night Football, also on Olympics and golf coverage. Um, you know, in, in all the, you know, they cite Andrew Marchand. Do you want to give him a, a hat tip from the New York Post? Uh, basically, he is who reported all these salaries that the Bleacher Report is uh, compiling here. But Tirico salary around $10.5 according to Marchand. Nance. Uh, is just ahead of Tariko in the number six spot. He's, of course, the number one play-by-play man for CBS, NFL, Masters, March Madness. Al Michaels and Joe Buck, uh, Bleacher Report, have in a dead heat uh, tied for fourth, uh, both right around $15 million per year. Buck had a five-year $75 million deal with ESPN to call Monday Night Football per Marchand. And Al Michaels uh, is in the neighborhood of that $15 million number as well to lead Amazon's broadcast of Thursday night football. Now, it doesn't mention the uh, emeritus role that Michaels was named to with NBC, which I would assume comes with a price tag as well. So maybe that bumps Michaels ahead of Buck. Meanwhile, number three on the list, Kirk Herbstreet. Uh, And that's a combined salary if you look at what he's making with ESPN and college football, college game day, and ABC primetime games on the college side. And then his new gig with Thursday Night Football alongside Al Michaels with Amazon. Uh, that adds up to what these guys estimate to be around $16 million per year. And then Troy Aikman and Tony Romo tied for first, each making approximately $18 million per year. Aikman uh, leaving Fox for Monday Night Football. Uh, along with Joe Buck, and then Romo with CBS. And his contract, the 10-year, $180 million contract back in uh, February of 2020, kind of kicked all this into gear just before the pandemic. Uh, Front office sports uh, estimated that altogether the combined salary deals since that Romo deal, $1 billion. So in the last 28 months, over $1 billion in combined salary deals. Now, one name that the Bleacher Report list left out, however, Tom Brady. And his deal trumps all these, if the reports are correct. Ten years, $375 million with Fox. So just wild numbers, you know, kind of mind-boggling numbers. And has really um, been an unprecedented season in terms of musical chairs, in terms of salary deals, in terms of announcer uh, being compensated to these levels. And it's kind of interesting just to list them all out and really step back for a moment and realize 
wow, these are some impressive numbers and that <laughs> are certainly unprecedented. Yeah, and um, I guess one has to wonder, how do you quantify them? How do the networks quantify? Like, if you and I were calling you know, the, the biggest game of the weekend on Sunday Night Football, is the audience going to dwindle because they don't like Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mollen calling that game? Um, there's got to be a reason why they're paying these guys what they are. And even Joe Buck said uh, Fox floated the idea of pairing him with Tom Brady uh, for that Fox pairing. So obviously Fox, they say people are watching because of these guys. We're paying Tom Brady or we would have kept Joe Buck or we're going to pay. Well, actually, this is another big conversation, Phil, is those are the top broadcast teams. One name you didn't mention or two, Greg Olson and Burkhart. We don't know what they're getting, but what does that second-tier guy get? That's the big thing is if you're not on that number one broadcast team, what's the pay drop to the second and third and the fourth and the fifth teams on these networks? I think that's an interesting um, research project for somebody. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I must say I'm, I'm not a full-time reporter and I'm not hunting down these numbers or anything like that. So I would have to rely on somebody else's reporting for that. And they're not all laid out necessarily or public necessarily that we would know, you know, what those numbers are. You know, I've heard that, you know, this is going to help everybody, you know, in the long run, as far as just kind of bringing the salary scales up all the way around. Um, But, you know, I guess that's that's yet to see. You know, it's it's just kind of fascinating. I've heard different theories, whether announcers affect ratings or not. John Skipper has talked about it uh, quite a bit on Dan Lebitard's show, and he tends to think not necessarily However, he understands at the same time why some of these deals might be made because it gives some credibility, some cachet uh, to the brand name. And it's kind of looked at, all right, this is your talent to make the TV show at a certain level and that kind of thing. But to your point, you know, whether it actually moves the needle in terms of people turning on or off the television set, uh, it's tough to say. Yeah. um, I know a listener um, question that came in. Wanting to know, do announcers get paid by the gig, or are they salaried? Do they work for the company, like NBC, or are they independent contractors? Uh, do they have agents, or do they seek out their own gigs? Do they have non-competes? There's a lot of very interesting questions there that we all, I think, could... Um, th- there's a lot of different answers to a lot of the... Uh, there's different answers to many of those questions. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think, I mean, most of the announcers we're talking about are on, you know, it's basically a, a big salary type deal that comes with all the, the benefits of working for a big company and all those kind of things. Like the number, you know, the number one team, they are salaried by the network. No doubt. But yeah. you yeah. might get the sixth team, you know, when Aqib Tlaib works, he's getting paid just for that particular game. He is not on salary. Perhaps. I mean, I, I think it, it, it all depends. It's kind of case by case. Well, I he think has said the, that, the, that he got, I think he said what he got paid for his appearances. Okay. Well, I, I would say. That's I, why I, I bring up Tlaib, by the way, over anybody else. Because I've actually heard him interviewed saying how much he got for each time that he was on a Fox broadcast. Gotcha. Yeah, I would, I would guess, I would hazard to guess that the majority of the faces that you see on network TV are salary. You know, I think there there's a there's a good handful perhaps who are sort of more freelancers and who are brought in, you know, on more of a part-time type thing and kind of, you know, might shuffle from network to network quite a bit in that kind of thing, pinch hitters 
you know, perhaps people new to the industry, things like that. Uh, however, I think most of the familiar faces and voices that you see are salaried by these networks. Now, as you go kind of, you know, deeper down the, the rabbit hole and you get into the world of ESPN Plus and, you know, these streaming services and things like that, um, you know, you and I know, Mike, you know, a lot of this is like just hired gun, one-off, independent contractor type type gigs. But I think for the most part, things we're usually talking about, you know, the, these big network national jobs are salary. Uh, that being said, you know, as far as the non-compete stuff, you know, we're seeing more and more of these deals where guys are working multiple networks. I don't know if the non-compete parts of the of the contracts are as strict as they once were. You know, it, it seems like as long as you take care of your primary employer, usually they're okay with you working someplace else as long as it's not a direct compete in terms of that sport yeah. in that show. Um, you know, we, we've seen that with a lot of our guests who, you know, work one place on TV and another on radio and so on and so forth, um, you know, might have a deal with a, with their local team or whatnot. So, you know, the, the non-competes, I think, you know, it, it's sort of industry practice to sort of work with the announcer and make sure that they can uh, fit in whatever they can to be to be happy as well. And the last part of the question, as far as agents, yes, there are agents in this industry, just like there are in, uh, you know, Hollywood and and in uh, with the athletes and that kind of thing, there are some that specialize specifically in sports broadcasting. Uh, but there's, I, I, I know I've talked to some announcers who don't have an agent and even, you know, uh, work on these sort of, you know, higher level shows and just prefer to do things themselves. So uh, hopefully that answers the listener questions and, you know, uh, really appreciate the, the listeners. Yeah. You know, wanting to dive deeper into the industry what side. I, what I would say, Phil, is someone who does what I do, uh, I'm a sports talk radio host, we generally have non-competes. They don't want us to go from, if we have a competing station in the market, you can't just say, hey, I'm in this station on Monday, and I'm going to go over to the competing station across the street. Generally, they're about six months, some nine, some up to a year. So if somebody leaves, you know, the station... Uh, here and then goes across town, they generally have to sit out about six to nine months before they're allowed to show up on another station. After that non-compete has kind of elapsed, that's when you'll hear a guy, hey, he was on that station across town. Now he's over here. Um, we don't like him, but it's kind of they force your hand to to kind of to sign those things. And uh, a lot of people in the sports talk radio field have that because of the competitive nature of advertising in a certain marketplace. Now, you might be able to get a job. You could get a job out of the market. There's usually a mileage range that they'll give you. Hey, you can't work for six months within 70 miles of the station. That's how a lot of these uh, contracts for non-competes work. For the play-by-players, though, I would think that's a little bit different. Yeah, and, you know, I, I again, like I'm not privy to these – contracts or anything like that that i i know this is just all anecdotal talking to to different announcers and so forth but i'm imagining a lot of them probably have language of a, of a non-compete within it but then oftentimes a, an opportunity will come up for an announcer he'll go back to his employer kind of get his blessing if they've got to tweak a little something perhaps in the contract they yes. do um but it, it seems to me that you know most of these networks are willing to work with the announcers that they can get additional opportunities, um, you know, to, to, to raise their salaries even, even further as far as their income goes and that kind of thing. 
So it, it, it's kind of an interesting industry in the, in that regard. And, uh, you know, you see guys working like uh, Herb Street's a perfect example. You know, ESPN and Amazon. I mean, one's an NFL gig, one's a college football gig, uh, but he's he's able to to do them both. So, you know, there's got to be language in those contracts that allows for that. Yeah, and I wonder, that, you know, that's an interesting one. Does ESPN TV not look at Amazon Prime as a competitor for advertising, for ads? Yeah, it's tough to say the rationale. Uh, Perhaps it's just simply to keep Herb Street happy, you know, and to to keep them around ESPN. Like, hey, we're willing to work with you. Um, Like, share, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Sports Media Watch feed, announcer schedule podcast. Jamie Erdahl is now officially, uh, she's hosting Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. Kay Adams, uh, her name is... Uh, was kind of mentioned uh, being out of that job. We thought she might be a part of that Amazon gig, uh, but j- she's out of Good Morning Football. Jamie Erdahl is in. Yeah, Jamie Erdahl, now the host of NFL Network's Good Morning Football. And, you know, she had been the CBS Sports sideline reporter for, for several seasons, uh, you know, d- did work on the on NFL shows as well. But you know, the primary gig was Erdahl on those SEC CBS games on the sidelines and in handling reporting from down there. Now, on the announcement, they did mention that Erdahl will continue to work for CBS, um, you know, uh, limited, you know, work, you know, not like uh, the full time gig before, but we'll see her from time to time on on uh, CBS shows. But, um, you know, you'll be able to see her basically every weekday morning, I guess, on, on NFL Network, Good Morning Football. Uh, my producer, uh, Josh Henning, is my producer on the radio. Uh, he is a big fan of the Good Morning Football show. I know he was sad to see Kay leave. Uh, they have good chemistry there. Jamie Erdahl takes over. More college football. Uh, Jenny Dell is going to be the new sideline reporter on C, uh, the CBS SEC game. Sheree Burris She'll be the lead sideline reporter on CBS Sports Network. So we're starting to see some more jobs fill in for college football season. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, uh, the the announcements happen simultaneously. And, it, and it's interesting, you know, from the PR side for me, you know, watching how these announcements kind of come out. And, you know, literally the NFL Network announcement about Erdahl and the CBS Sports announcement regarding Jenny Dell and Cherie Burris all kind of came out right around the same exact time. And, and that was certainly intentional and in, in plan from the, you know, PR folks, Jenny Dell has been with CBS for, for quite a few years now, mostly on the CBS sports network side of things, working games on the sidelines also has done a few NFL games here and there. Um, she's originally from um, Nesson, you know, so as far as, you know, where she really cut her teeth, which by the way is where Jamie Erdahl got started also nesting up in in new england in the boston area and you know within the release they mentioned that brad nestler and gary danielson will be back as the number one cbs sports sec uh team as far as the play-by-play and the analyst no surprise there but what's interesting here to keep an eye on of course is sec leaving cbs you know and you know, what that's going to look like moving forward. We talked about in a little last show, you know, all sorts of chaos in the in the college football world. So we'll see how that all shakes out. That'll be in 2024 when ABC and ESPN take over the SEC package. And then meanwhile, Cherie Burris steps up into the role that Dell held before, 
which is the number one sideline reporter for CBS Sports Network. She'll be working with Rich Waltz, a play-by-play announcer who has been around a long time, done some great work on the baseball side of things as well with MLB Network, Uh, does a lot of stuff around March Madness, Uh, was once the voice of the Marlins. I got to know Rich down in in his Miami days. Uh, He was down there for many years. His analyst will be Aaron Taylor, the former Notre Dame star. And Cherie Burris, you know, moves into that sideline reporter role. She's young, pretty new to the business, but I've been noticing, especially this past year, that she got a lot of assignments, um, you know, not just as a studio host, but also working those sidelines as a reporter. So uh, no surprise here after seeing how much work she got, how many reps she got this past year, that she would be elevated into this role. Okay, so the college football teams are starting to form. Uh, new voice in Florida, the Gators, Sean Kelly. Uh, those of you who listen to ESPN programming, Sean is a baseball voice. You heard him do various uh, play-by-play gigs on the national ESPN radio feed. Uh, I don't know how this is going to affect his national ESPN radio stuff, but he will be the new voice of the Florida Gators. Yeah, so we've been talking about Florida State and Florida and how they both had longtime play-by-play announcers who – Recently retired, both retired in the same same calendar year. Gene Deckeroff retired from Florida State. He was replaced by Jeff Colhane, who comes in from North Dakota State. We remember Mike; he's the one who also has some West Virginia ties. That's right. And Sean Kelly, uh, who's a familiar voice to ESPN Radio listeners, he he did all sorts of work on ESPN Radio, whether it be uh, college football, NFL, NBA. Um, he he was all over the place, even uh, some MLB this past year. He replaces Mick Hubert, who was the voice of the Gators for 33 years. And so Kelly will relocate to Gainesville, Florida. Um, Kelly's got um, New Orleans roots. He was the voice of the Pelicans for, for several years. And he'll relocate to Gainesville. And kind of what we were talking about with this with the contracts I mean it'd be once again it'd be interesting to really kind of get into the weeds and, and understand this better but from my understanding this is now his primary gig you know voice of the Florida Gators yeah, full-time, full-time deal job, yeah. working working with University of Florida um, you know very well University of Florida themselves might be paying the salary and so forth and you know he'll be there calling football games, calling men's basketball games, probably doing other assignments, you know, in terms of hosting and things like that. You know, the voice of the Gators. That being said, you know, one of the ESPN um, PR executives, right, after Sean tweeted uh, and the, the announcement came out, he, the PR folk, um, tweeted a congratulations to Sean and also said, we're thrilled that Sean will still be working some ESPN radio games with us. So, you know, that, that's cool to see that, you know, we'll still see him on the national stage. But I think that's another good example, kind of what we're talking about. You'll have your primary gig, but, you know, with University of Florida's blessing, and as long as it doesn't conflict schedule-wise, he'll still be able to do ESPN radio work as well. All right. Uh, we talk about Sean Kelly, voice of the Gators, college basketball, football and basketball. College basketball going to have one of the lead voices uh, of many generations, Dickie V. We're going to get a Dickie V documentary. Yes, uh, ESPN Films, their latest documentary debuts this week. It'll be on ESPN Plus and then also will be on uh, Linear TV on ESPN on Saturday, July the 23rd at 4 p.m. 
And we posted this trailer on the Twitter account and people went bananas, you know, in anticipation for this Dickie V documentary. It looks awesome, no doubt about it. You know, all sorts of interviews and and really charting his entire career arc from his days as a coach um, up through the explosion of, you know, ESPN in the 80s and and Dickie V, such a big part of that. And then, of course, his battle with cancer, you know, uh, recently and and all that he's been going through uh, should be a remarkable film about a remarkable uh, career, Dickie V. Uh, I've had Dickie V on the radio a couple times. Great guy. Just uh, a phenomenal interview. A great storyteller. So looking forward to that documentary as Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, by the way, some housekeeping from last week's podcast from a listener. Uh, Appreciate this. Uh, We had brought up Melissa Stark and I had said, about her and Ahmad Rashad on the NBA show. The show was called Inside Stuff on NBC. It was Willow Bay who was the uh, female host on that show, not Melissa Stark. I got Willow Bay and Melissa Stark a little messed up there. I'm having some senior moments in my 40s. It's okay. They, these rabbit holes that we go down when we talk about old announcers and so forth. Uh, Melissa Stark, the reason her name even even came up was you know, she'll be the the new sideline reporter for NBC Sunday night football. Uh, So we'll look forward to seeing Melissa uh, back on uh, network television on the sideline reporting side of things. But I'm glad, uh, you know, we were able to catch that mic and appreciate the listeners, you know, uh, keeping a keen ear to these things as well. Yes. So we keep those coming in, keep this, uh, we make a mistake, let us know. You can kind of you know, give us a quick little hat tip or something. If, uh, hey, you guys, uh, I like that, but you missed this. I'm okay missing a name every once in a while. It happens. Uh, we have a lot of names jumbled in our head. How many last week did we hit on? 69 uh, announcers? Yeah, we're averaging somewhere in the, the 60s or 70s, I think, every show as far as announcer mentions. And, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, they, they all just come naturally. Like, we're not trying to just, like, rattle off as many as we, we can. Right, you know, right, the, right. The, the, these come up as we go through these topics. So it is it is amazing, you know, just the, um, you know, uh, width and breadth of how many announcers call sports across the country. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. And, you know, uh, hopefully uh, we, we bring up names, both past and present, that people enjoy. We have one coming up, Mark Kesheser. Stick around for that. Uh, we'll have uh, the ESPN Radio NBA Finals lead voice. He also does many other things for the network. You've heard Mark Kesheser. If you've been in your car driving around listening to ESPN Radio, you have heard Mark Kesheser. He'll be joining us on the announcer schedule podcast. All right, let's go to baseball, Mets TV, Mets Radio. Uh, this will be interesting for the Keith Hernandez jersey retirement coming up uh, for the Mets and Wayne Randazzo. He is a part of the Sports Media Watch feed this week. Uh, George Offman, he has him on as a guest. So Mets TV and radio here for the uh, Keith Hernandez jersey retirement because Keith Hernandez is a part of the TV broadcast. Yeah, Keith Hernandez, his retirement actually was 
uh, this past weekend. So it, it went down a few days ago at, at City Field, a, a big, big event for Mets fans. Just the fourth player uh, for the Mets all time to have his jersey retired, which is pretty impressive. But Hernandez has his jersey retired. But, you know, younger fans probably know him more as a TV announcer than as a as a player. He's been a analyst on Mets broadcast since 1999 and since 2006, which is when the network SNY uh, began when it when it launched. There's been only one booth, you know, for for Mets television, and it's universally considered, and and I agree as one of the the finest in the land, which is Gary Cohen on play by play, Keith Hernandez on analysis along with Ron Darling and the three of them have been a consistent thread since 2006 uh do just I think incredible work I've had the the pleasure of working in that booth before as a statistician when they would visit the Miami Marlins and it was an experience let me tell you I mean just listening to Cohen first of all in his um intellect is off the charts, you know, and in, in terms of his his baseball IQ, but also just his vocabulary and so forth. And then, you know, the the Hernandez personality is one of a kind. And then Darling brings a lot to the table in terms of his baseball knowledge and his intellect. And it is one of the, you know, I think, you know, most intelligent booths in all of sports and certainly a, a entertaining listen as well. Uh, for many years, Kevin Burkhart, who we mentioned before, was their reporter. And uh, he's obviously gone on to, to big, big things. And, um, yeah, you know, it's cool to see Hernandez, you know, honored as a player. And I'm sure they celebrated that up in that, that booth as well. You know, uh, Keith Hernandez, uh, congrats on the Jersey retirement. There we go. And then uh, this weekend, another rendition of the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. You're going to get a Fox game on Saturday and then uh, ESPN Sunday night baseball. Uh, for the Sunday, you're going to get the whole uh, K-Rod cast. they got some guests, I would imagine, uh, that are going to be great for this one. Plus, the games are on ESPN radio. So Yankees-Red Sox renew their rivalry. Fox-ESPN, ESPN radio. Yeah, so uh, again, the, this past weekend, this went down as well, Yankees, Red Sox. And kind of interesting in terms of the announcers in, in the booths, how this all shook out. On Saturday for the Fox game, the big network game, um, mo- you know, I, I noticed quite a bit of chatter on Twitter uh, in terms of our followers were expecting Joe Davis and John Smoltz, but it was Adam Amin and A.J. Pruszynski in the booth uh, with Ken Rosenthal on the on the uh, sidelines as the field reporter on Fox on Saturday, Joe Davis was back in Los Angeles doing the Cubs Dodgers series uh, for the Dodgers Network, and Smoltz was at that celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe. So that was their, uh, I guess, um, alibis or what have you for right. missing that Fox game on Saturday night, and then Sunday, uh, Michael K back in the booth uh, for. We're back in the studio, I should say, for the K-Rod cast, along with Alex Rodriguez. Uh, they had a bunch of great special guests, including Billy Crystal. And then on, on radio, uh, ESPN Radio brought you national coverage. Dave O'Brien was on the play-by-play for uh, both of those games. And he, by the way, is the Red Sox voice. So it's kind of interesting. You get you get Michael Kay, who is 
the uh, Yankees uh, voice over there on ESPN2. You've got Dave O'Brien, who's the Red Sox voice over on ESPN Radio. Marley Rivera, um, who is a real up-and-comer, was his uh, analyst for that one. Uh, she is a veteran of the New York City market, also you know, really tied in with the, the Latino markets as well in the baseball world. So um, a lot of coverage for this past weekend's Yankees-Red Sox series. And, you know, I guess that uh, series just continues to draw, you know, um, and, uh, you know, the networks continue to give it, you know, substantial coverage. Yeah, that was uh, this weekend ESPN Radio. Uh, there is no Sunday night game uh, coming up because of the All-Star breaks, so the Derby and the All-Star game uh, this weekend. So that last weekend – uh, you had Yankees, Red Sox there. We saw Wimbledon last week, the men's and women's finals on ESPN as well. That kind of dominated uh, ESPN for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, w- Wimbledon is in the books, and uh, Chris Fowler, you know, handling the lion's share of the, the big shows there. Uh, he handled play-by-play for both the, the women's and the men's finals. Uh, Chrissy Everett on analysis for the women's final, and then the McEnroe brothers, who are always an entertaining listen, uh, John McEnroe and Patrick McEnroe joining Fowler for uh, Sunday's men's final. Uh, let's go down to uh, the British Open, which is uh, the day this drops, this uh, announcer schedule podcast. Uh, we will get coverage of the 150th Open Championship. This is a big one from St. Andrews. Yeah, a- NBC uh, on the coverage for this one yet again, and... USA Network, you know, we, we mentioned last show how they've taken over that inventory that used to be on NBC Sportsnet. Uh, they'll be um, handling ancillary coverage and, uh, you know, early round and that kind of thing. Peacock on the streaming side of things. Tariko, the host, once again, uh, play-by-play coming from guys like Dan Hicks and Terry Gannon, along with Tariko uh, handling some of that golf play-by-play. Uh, Paul Azinger, Justin Leonard, Sir Nick Faldo, uh, who we've talked about quite a bit. You, you'd be able to catch him on a little bit of this coverage as well. And one other name, uh, Catherine Tappen, uh, who was the sideline reporter um, backing up Michelle Tafoya for a lot of that NBC work. And a lot of people thought was going to get that NBC Sunday night football job that ended up going to Melissa Stark. Well, Catherine Tappen, if you're wondering what she's up to, she'll be at the British Open in St. Andrews, Scotland, uh, handling uh, a lot of the interviews and, and, um, and whatnot. So uh, British Open this weekend will be interesting to see. That's always uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we had the voice of NASCAR, the voice of the Triple Crown, uh, about the voice of the Tour de France. Uh, that is coming up for the 2022 season. I'm glad we're mentioning the Tour de France, which has um, been ongoing and, you know, the the finals – um, you know, that final leg coming up uh, in Paris will we'll be here before we know it. To me, the Tour de France is one of the more fascinating television productions in all the sports. It is incredible to think what they have to go through logistically from location to location as these riders go throughout the um, countryside, but also the mountains of the Alps of, of France, and then ultimately to Paris. I mean, every single day is a completely different challenge, um, you know, not just for the athletes, but for the producers. And the camera shots that they get, uh, they're able to, the, to bring you all the information, the coverage. I think it's one of the more spectacular shows in all of sports television. And if you haven't checked it out, I, I, I certainly recommend it. Uh, Phil Leggett, who has been there forever, uh, Phil, this will be his 
50th time covering the Tour de France, uh, what he's up to the, right now, and 45th time uh, on television. Uh, Bob Roll is his analyst, and uh, Paul Burmeister, who's a familiar name, uh, he handles the studio coverage. So, hey, I just wanted to give a shout out to NBC Sports and all that they do around that Tour de France coverage. You know, not just the guys on there, but the the work behind the scenes, the camera people. I mean, they've got cameras on the back of motorcycles, uh, helicopters, you name it, to bring you all the action from France. Yeah, Pearl, Paul Burmeister, by the way, he is the the radio voice of Notre Dame football. For those of you uh, familiar with the Notre Dame, was that Learfield, maybe, I think, is the producer for Notre Dame football. I could be wrong. It might be uh, Sports USA. It might have something to do uh, with that, or Skyview, or, or something. Uh, but Paul Burmeister is the voice of Notre Dame football. I'm sure somebody listening will, will fact-check me on that one there. I might be able to pull that one, uh, because we do carry select Notre Dame football games, and uh, Paul Burmeister, I know the lead play-by-play voice. They do kind of change the uh, analysts from time to time, and uh, we, we get that on uh, the Skyview Network. Uh, that's their uh, production there. So uh, Tour de France, um, Premier League. We've been kind of talking a little bit about the Premier League the last couple of weeks. Peter Drury, uh, he will be the uh, network's new lead play-by-play voice, and Arlo White, who went to live. Yeah, Peter Drury uh, takes over the new lead play-by-play voice uh, for the Premier League, and he's a familiar voice, certainly knows his way around international soccer at the highest of levels. Um, you know, he's been working on the you know world feed for the Premier League for years, um, also the UEFA Champions League on CBS Sports. Um, so I'm sure that'll be seamless as far as Drury taking over. Arlo White, who we talked about, you know, leaving the Premier League gig and now part of Live Golf. Um, One story that kind of really flew under the radar, and, um, you know, I'd love to learn more about this, where where we're kind of currently at. Arlo White also um, is a voice of the Chicago Fire MLS team and their coverage on WGN in Chicago. And when White took the Live Golf Uh, job. A lot of folks in Chicago, including a couple of editorials in the newspapers there, um, kind of really um, created some backlash uh, for the Chicago Fire as far as keeping Arlo White, you know, part of their broadcast. Um, Of course, Live Golf uh, being backed by Saudi Arabia and so forth, you know, a very polarizing uh, topic. And, you know, um, the idea that White would be calling the Chicago Fire games you know, uh, certainly, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows in Chicago. Meanwhile, the Fire have decided to keep White on. I mean, he doesn't do all the games. He did four last year, and, you know, he announced that he was going to do a few more than that this year. But the Fire decided to keep White on, uh, felt it wasn't appropriate to judge uh, who he chose to work for outside the franchise in their statement. And it looks like White will call a few Chicago Fire games. But, just one more story worth keeping an eye on. Arlo White, Live Golf, Chicago, Fire, and you know where that continues to go. Okay, uh, so we hit on just about everything you possibly could. Football, college game, golf, uh, cycling, college basketball, college football. So with that, uh, we hit on all the uh, homework this week. 
And now we're going to bring in our guest. Mark Kestesher is here from ESPN Radio. Before we get Mark, let's hear a little Mark Kestesher to get you ready uh, for how he got to where he is. And uh, here is Mark Kestesher from ESPN Radio in the NBA Finals. Take a listen. Tatum outside to Horford, a topside three, making another seven of seven from three in the fourth quarter for Boston. And guess who made the deflection? Horford got the deflection to cause the steal and the three in transition. All right, Mark Kessler, P.J. Carlissimo, his analyst there. The NBA Finals, Al Horford had a night for the ages, and Mark Kessler was on the call, and he joins us now on the Announcer Schedule podcast. Mark, welcome. Good to be with you guys, Mike and Phil. I love what you guys do, and uh, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast. This is great. Yeah, this is uh, episode number eight. We've been down the journey of many great broadcasters. You know different, Mark. Uh, Give us a little background on how Mark Kessler was calling NBA Finals games this year. You're the voice, uh, lead voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio. If people have been in their car driving around at night or on the weekends, they've heard Mark Kessler calling something How'd you get there? And if you're old enough, you might have heard one of my updates uh, when I arrived in 1999 up until I I got an opportunity to do play-by-play. It was a long and winding road. That's the easy way to say it, guys. Um, You know, I I went to Syracuse University, so whenever someone says, where did you go? And I say Syracuse, you get that look like, oh, you're one of those guys because they have such a great broadcast journalism uh, department and school and so many uh, classic announcers who've come out of school. Yet, uh, when I went to Syracuse, I was a chemical engineering major. Um, I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I grew up listening to baseball on the radio, just fell in love with, you know, the typical, this is, you know, guys of my age, a transistor radio and falling asleep at night and listening to the Larry King show overnight. I was just fascinated by the theater of the mind. So that's what I wanted to do. Uh, my parents didn't quite see it as, uh, you know, an opportunity that maybe you'll get a chance to be a broadcaster someday. So my strengths were math and science, chemical engineering. Unfortunately, my strengths also were not studying hard enough. I was at the Carrier Dome watching every football game and every basketball game. And all my friends were in the Newhouse School. And uh, after two years, I finally realized I need to pursue my dream. And so I I tried to matriculate over that that's uh, not very easy at the Newhouse school so I took as many comm courses as I could I was very fortunate got a broadcast internship with the Albany Yankees who were then the Yankees double a team um, and the gentleman who was the broadcaster Dale McConaughey who sadly has since passed he was also the voice of the Albany Patroons which when I was growing up that was one of the first minor league sports teams that came into Albany and Phil Jackson had been the head coach. They won a championship. Bill Musselman, while I was in college, uh, won a championship there. And so I followed him. He left for a AAA job. I became, at 21 years of age, the voice of the Albany Patroons. George Carl was the head coach. Terry Stotts was his assistant. Mario Eli was a guy nobody had heard of that we found. Went on to win a title with the Houston Rockets. And so I did minor league uh, play-by-play in Albany for six years, whether it was arena football, college football, college basketball and the CBA uh, minor league basketball team. Uh, But at some point, I just wasn't getting any opportunities with all the NBA jobs that were opening radio-wise. I couldn't get an interview. You know, I'd get nicely worded letters. We'll keep you on file. And I happened to see an ad back. You guys remember uh, Radio and Records. This is before the internet. This is 1996, right about the time the internet's coming in. And I used to get that magazine uh, religiously. 
and there was a little blurb in it that said, looking for a sports update anchor, WKNR Cleveland, home of the Cleveland Indians. And so I sent something in. Months later, I got hired. I moved my wife and I out to Cleveland. Our daughter is born there the next year. I have incredible um, work experiences there, but it still didn't include play-by-play. And then uh, Greg Brenda, who was one of our hosts, was moonlighting on game night. This is before ESPN Radio was 24-7. You know, they did weekends. They had the fabulous sports babe. The Tony Kornheiser show was coming in. And so I sent him one of my updates and said, if you see anyone important, please give them the cassette. (laughs) This is, you know, again, uh, we're pre-digital here. We're in cassette. Um, I would find out years later, nobody ever heard that cassette. But the boss of ESPN Radio uh, went into a studio on a Monday morning. Greg Brenda had done Friday, Saturday, Sunday nationally on ESPN Radio. But the caveat was he needed the studio Monday morning to do his Cleveland radio show. And so the boss from ESPN Radio comes in to talk during a break. And he hears my update over the uh, headphones and says, oh, I like that guy's voice. Who's that? And he remember, I gave you the tape. Never heard the tape. <laughs> Calls me, auditions me. Um, I get the job at ESPN Radio in late 1998. I started early 1999. A year later, I work my way into their studio coverage of Major League Baseball and the NBA. Next thing you know, I'm on site hosting all-star games. And all the while telling them, I've got lots of play-by-play experience, just nothing on a Major League level. Yet, you know, we have Jim, the late Jim Durham, Kevin Calabro, you know, doing games. Um, John Miller on the baseball side. Dan, a young Dan Schulman is just coming in. So the odds of me getting play-by-play are slim to none. And I had to wait for opportunities. One finally came in about 2005. And well, that's a, a very short history to how I got there. I just waited for my turn. And when it came, I seized it. Unfortunately, apparently was good enough to keep getting some more. Now, Mark, a lot of uh, broadcasters seem to, you know, they get their foot in the door doing something. You know, Bob Wachusen told us, you know, he was doing sports talk radio, and then a job came up, and now he's play-by-play. And some people, uh, you know, they want to be a play-by-player or they want to be a talk show host, and that's not available, so they switch to one or the other. Did you always want to do play-by-play? Was that what you wanted to get into? It was. I mean, I, I wanted to be a baseball announcer, and uh, I loved playing baseball. I loved watching baseball. It just seemed natural for me to get into it. But the one thing I learned early is if you don't commit, to full-time baseball, it is hard to become a, you know, a major league baseball announcer. You have to forego uh, oftentimes the football and the basketball, unless, you know, you're a special young talent where you can get in at an age where they'll allow you to miss a few games to do other stuff. So that was where I really thought I wanted to go. And then when I, when I got that Albany Patroons job and started doing basketball, I don't know. I just felt like I had a proficiency for the pace you know, I, I had a good like staccato delivery, you know, it, it came quick to me, I can memorize names and, uh, you know, not have to look down at my sheet and try to paint that picture from a basketball perspective. And so that became that's when I fell in love with the game. And I do um, remember definitively, I was already at ESPN radio. And I had I was asked to be a sideline for the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, though, I think the one and only time I was a sideline reporter was at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. And the night before there was a uh, New Orleans Hornets game at the arena across the street. And my boss, John Martin, who gave me so many breaks and he's since retired, he said, do you want to go to the game? And I'm like, that'd be great. I'm figuring we're going to get great seats. Well, we had better than great seats. We were sitting courtside. And I remember looking to both ends and looking at the television and radio announcers 
and watching the NBA up close. And it just revitalized my love that this is what I want to do. And I told him that that night. I said, I want to do this. And he probably looked at me like, you're crazy. You're never going to get that opportunity. And then five years later in 2008, it was my 40th birthday. Jim Durham, the late Jim Durham, um, got sick and wasn't allowed to travel to Detroit. And so my boss calls me and he goes, can you be in Detroit tomorrow? And I'm like, my whole family's flying up from Florida for my 40th birthday. What do you got? And he goes, uh, I got Pistons and Hornets at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And then I called all my relatives and said, you're going to have a great time without me at my 40th birthday. You enjoy my wife and your, your granddaughter. Have a great time. I'm going to make my NBA debut. So, so many times it is time and place. And um, I just loved basketball on the radio. I remember Marv Albert when I was young doing Knicks games uh, and listening to that. I never thought that's what I would end up becoming, but I did fall in love with it. And I'm glad that uh, that I was able to get the opportunity. And then I can't even begin to describe to become the, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio, needed like eight different things to happen, and they all happened. Steve Martin, in the Phil, end. there's my highlighter moment of the week. We have it every week. There it is, the highlighter moment right there. The highlighter moment. And then the NBA Finals assignment, Mark. You know, Now people associate you with that huge event. Can you tell us about that time and place? For the NBA Finals? Yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, the um... – I did the NBA Finals as a studio guy in 2004. I think Jim Durham's last year as the studio man was 2003. I filled in once for him there. And then they had me come in um, to work at that year. I think Tim Legler was my analyst. And then I hadn't worked with him again, ironically, till this past season. We did a game together, and I reminded him of that opportunity. And I solidified myself on that end. And I never realized it at the time. You know, I always assumed if Jim Durham or Kevin Calabro or Mike Tirico, you know, came down with um, laryngitis, let's say, you know, they'd pull somebody from TV to do it. And all these years later, I was always like, who's your backup plan? Like, well, you were the backup. plan. (laughs) So I was always this close to being on the NBA finals, but I never felt that way. I never felt that was an opportunity that was going to happen. And it never did. Uh, But in uh, the summer of 2016. So that was the finals that the Cleveland Cavaliers came back from 3-1. LeBron James had the chase down block and they won game seven at Golden State. Um, Kevin Calabro had told me privately that, you know, he was very close to uh, taking on the Portland Trailblazers full-time television job. Um, I was unaware that, you know, Mike, I knew Mike Tirico was in a contract discussion, but I didn't know that, you know, he'd be leaving ESPN for NBC. And so those two things happened at the same time. My bosses, you know, were they definitely had had enough of me to know that I was capable. I remember four years earlier um, when Jim Dermott sadly passed away and I had a meeting with uh, one of my bosses and I said, you know, please consider me. I know I'm not, you know, the top guy on the chain to take over, but I think I'm ready. And actually it was a hard, it was a hard discussion because they told me, we think you're pretty close to ready, but we're not sure that you're ready. And that was a hard thing to hear um, at that age. Uh, but, you know, they said, you're real close and just keep working hard. And being on that number two team is not such a bad thing at all. And it wasn't. And I got great reps. And then when it happened in 2016, um, I remember that first finals game and I got phone calls, you know, from all of the broadcast partners I used to work with. And Uh, I think the call from Mike Tirico was the one I remember the most because he had said, there's going to be a moment right before the game when you need to just look at the crowd 
and listen to the fans and just absorb it and realize all the work you've done your entire career and where you're sitting and what you're about to do. And the only thing I remember from game one of the NBA finals was we're five seconds away from the broadcast coming to me. The national anthem just finished. Hubie Brown is sitting to my right, the Hubie Brown, who I've had a chance to work with many times, but still. And I had this pain in my arm that, you know, every health class you've been to is like, uh oh, am I having a heart attack? What's going on? But it was just nerves. And I remember thinking, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I'm about to call game one of the NBA finals on national radio. And as soon as the broadcast came to me and I gave one of those, hi, hello, everybody, welcome to game one with Hubie Brown it all just became another game. And like everyone says, everything slows down, the nerves are gone, and you're just broadcasting another game. But I did have that moment before where I'm like, what am I doing and how do I get out of here? Wow, sensational stuff there, Mark. And you mentioned Hubie Brown and you've mentioned a couple of your other analysts. Can you tell us about, you know, that relationship with your analysts and whether it's a new one who you might not have um, a bunch of experience with, but also the ones that you've worked with over the years where it almost probably feels like you can read each other's minds. Yeah, those are that's my favorite time, obviously. We heard P.J. Carlissimo uh, on that uh, call from the most recent finals, and I feel like I could finish his sentences. He could finish mine. He knows where I'm going. I know where he's going. Um, we've had a lot of first-time analysts over the years, uh, more so in recent years, and I've always felt if I can – there's always going to be a phone call. It's going to start with a text – then it's going to be a phone call and if possible, a meal together where we may not even be talking about the broadcast or the teams that we're about to engage in the next night. But if I can get a feel what they're thinking, some of their opinions on things, even if I'm not planning for it to be in the broadcast, there's always going to be a time where all of a sudden you get that epiphany. Hey, we just had this discussion. Let's bring this up. And then it sounds seamless, even with a first time person. And on radio, it's, you guys know it's so difficult. The radio analyst is such a difficult position. You can be the greatest X and O coach, uh, the greatest person who could break down the film or break it down instantaneously, but can you get it in eight to 10 seconds? Can you, can you start a, a something and have a cogent thought and have it end at the right time? And that's, that's really an amazing ability to have. And so I need to feel that out too. Once we broadcast, some guys are really good at it. Some need a few extra seconds. Do I need to call a little less on the play, not give the big hero nugget like we heard? You know, they were seven for seven from three in the quarter. I can do that because I know either PJ or Doris Burke, who was also on the game, can make their point in eight seconds or less, and we're not going to miss action. So uh, you're right. You do need to have some quality time with your analyst, and if they're new, I always, I, I don't think I've ever done a game where I've never at least um, had a long phone conversation with someone before we got on the air. Now, Mark, uh, versatility. Talk about how you became so versatile in this business. Updates, play-by-play, uh, -play, studio hosts, multiple sports. I mean, you go from uh, basketball, baseball, ba uh, football, college game. College games are really hard to prepare for. Uh, so how do you kind of become and how do you learn to be a versatile play-by-player, uh, -play uh, radio, uh, everything? I, I think um, necessity would probably be the first thing I would say because we're all trying to figure out our way when we get into this business. I was lucky to get in as a play-by-play -play on the minor league level. Um, but as you know, uh, everything in the broadcast industry, at least in my day and probably even to this day, 
you know that you're not going to make a ton of money <laughs> in this profession. So you just do what you can. Um, I was, I think I was calling games for maybe a hundred dollars a game or $150 a game. Sometimes it was just movie tickets that the, uh, the FM station on the other side of the AM had laying around and how could I bolster my salary? And they, there was a position for sports director at WPTR in Albany. I was doing Albany Patroons, Albany Firebirds, that's basketball and arena football. And I supplemented my income by being the sports director, doing sports reports twice an hour. Morning, it was split shift, morning and afternoon, during morning drive and afternoon drive. And so all those reps um, turned me into an update person where, you know, sports radio was just coming into play in the late 90s or late 80s and early 90s. So now I had that on my bucket list. And that's ultimately what got me to Cleveland, ironically, was my ability uh, to write, produce, and then, um, you know, get on the air, crack a mic and give a sports update. Uh, I was never a great talk show host, though. I did a bunch of it. I filled in. It wasn't, you know, something I really wanted to do, but always had the ability to do. And then uh, as I got to ESPN Radio, even though to come there as an update anchor and become a play-by-play, if I tell you it's rare, I might be the only one. Because, you know, the talent that they have there and the access to talent that they have just in Bristol from a play-by-play perspective makes it nearly impossible that you get that opportunity. But the fact that I had it in my bag, so to speak, having done six years of minor league play-by-play, I remember at one time going to Philadelphia, I hired an engineer who I knew and I said, if I come to the Spectrum, will you record a game? It was a 76ers game. And I got to know Fred Carter that summer because he was on our broadcast team for the finals. And I said, Freddie, I don't have any money to pay you. I know you go to the games. Would you mind being my analyst for like two quarters? And he agreed to do it. You know, we had golfed one day, so we kind of bonded. And so here I am, you know, with Freddie Carter, you know, the greatest 76er on the worst <laughs> NBA team ever with, with the point, the whole thing. Um, and that made the tape sound great. And I want to say that that helped get me an opportunity when they finally had an opening, which was the Jimmy V Classic in, I think, 2003 or four. It was a webcast on ESPNRadio.com. And because I had done all these little things, the versatility you talked about, and then once I got my foot in in basketball, have you done football? Well, yes, I'd done arena football. I did college football uh, on a Division II level. Um, Can you do baseball? My goodness. Um, It was 2012. I hadn't done baseball in 20 years. My internship, as I mentioned, was the Albany Yankees. But a buddy of mine was doing minor league baseball in the independent leagues. It wasn't even, you know, single A, double A. It was an independent league team. And he asked me if I wanted to do a couple innings. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? This is fun. I love baseball. So the fact that I had done those two innings in late September of that year, my boss calls me and says, I need to send you to Tampa Bay for the Rays and Yankees final game of the year. Have you ever done baseball? I did minor leagues. I just did a few innings a couple of uh, weeks ago. That was the game that Evan Longoria hit a walk-off homer in the 12th inning to send the Rays to the postseason. That was my first baseball game with ESPN Radio. Again, versatility, having done it in the past. And um, the one time I had to say no was they asked me, we had a hockey championship that was coming up in the summer. Um, You know, would I be interested in doing it? And I'd done one professional hockey game in my career. I filled in for a buddy. I think he got married that weekend. (laughs) So he was the voice of the Albany River Rats in the American Hockey League. I had to drive to Utica, New York, as they played the Utica Devils. And it might have been the worst hockey broadcast of all time. I I don't have tape of it. I hope it's 
just a few miles past Pluto right about now. <laughs> no one ever hears it. Uh, but I never played hockey. I loved it. I loved going as a fan. I grew up in upstate New York. We went up to Montreal when I was at Syracuse. We'd go to Buffalo and Toronto all the time. Love hockey. Love watching it. Never played it. Never felt comfortable calling it. So I actually, the one time I turned down an assignment at ESPN Radio. Mark, as you know, with the announcer schedules, we follow the comings and goings of the announcers all across the country. And, you know, you just got back from NBA Summer League action in Las Vegas. Uh, you covered, you know, the NBA playoffs and the NBA regular season as well. You filled in for uh, Mark Jones on Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals right after you had finished the Western Conference Finals, not to mention college football, NFL work, et cetera. Tell us about the road in this life of, you know, on the fly, uh, you know, making it to the next assignment and, and keeping prepared and keeping your itineraries organized and so forth. And perhaps there's a story along the way you'd like to share. It's a, it's a nutty schedule, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, my wife and my daughter make it all work because if they were not interested in me being gone so much, uh, I would not be able to do it. It's uh, it's just thrilling. I mean, it never it never ends. The calendar never ends. I think I have my schedule now to where I can almost have August off. Right now is about the time where I'm winding down. Summer League's over. A baseball All-Star game is coming up. I'll host a few uh, baseball uh, tonight shows on Saturdays and Sundays in late July, and then it gets quiet in August before it all comes back heavy again in September with football. And then the baseball playoffs start in October. You've got uh, the NBA season beginning in October, though we don't get heavy into it till January, but we do opening night and Christmas. College basketball starts in early November, the Champions Classic, and then you have the Jimmy V class in, in early December. And then my schedule really gets out of hand starting in January where we have the national championship game for college football leading into NBA, leading into college basketball. We get through March. We don't do March Madness, which would be something I'd love to attempt someday. We don't have rights to it, obviously, at ESPN Radio, but we do championship week, and I've done the Big 12 tournament for so many years on radio, and then we get into the NBA playoffs, and that's, as you described, that's 67 days where I'm in hotel rooms way more than I'm in my own bedroom at my house, and it's really just... Staying a week or two ahead, we do our own booking of our travel. So I, I try to stay ahead on that. Um, keeping rosters. Uh, for the NBA, it's not as bad because you only have 15 guys on each side and you pretty much know them all anyway. College football is the hardest by any stretch where you've got 100 guys on each side. Some of them have double numbers. Uh, you're going college football to NFL, so the travel sometimes um, last year we did a game at Virginia and then we had a Cincinnati Bengals one o'clock game on Sunday. So we drove after the game from Charlottesville to Charlotte four hours, slept for two in a hotel, caught a 6 a.m. flight to Cincinnati, got there three hours before the game, called uh, the, the Bengals beating up on the Steelers and then was on a six o'clock flight back home. So it's all just staying ahead same thing with rosters. The most important thing that uh, so many people have taught me, and I'll single out Mike Tirico because so many lessons in my broadcast life I learned from Mike, is that when you're on a plane, if you're not sleeping, you're working. You know, you've got your laptop, you've got your tablet, you're going through rosters, you're watching film. Um, and I've done so many West Coast NBA games over the last seven years that flying from Connecticut to California, that's my work day. It may be an eight-hour day, but I'm getting it done on the airplane. I'm looking ahead to the next game on that same airplane. 
and somehow it all comes together. But I do tell people as soon as the game is over, that roster is flushed out of my head somehow because there's only so much brain capacity you could have, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kugler was on with us a couple of weeks ago and said he did seven games in seven days in seven different places. Have you had such a um, journey? Let me begin by saying Kevin Kugler and Bob Washusen are two of the warriors of this business who have had Adam Amin the same way, where they will do four or five games in different cities. Uh, and Mike Tirico might be the king of them all, where he can just bounce around. I had, I've had a couple of those stretches. One that I remember, it was not only a, a stretch of long games, but it was changes in schedule, where they said, hey, we need you to do X. Hey, we need you to do Y. So now I'm not having my seven to 10 days advance. Now I'm booking travel. I'm looking at rosters last minute. I remember I was doing uh, college basketball in Chicago on a Tuesday. I had an NBA game on a Wednesday on television. They threw at me a college football game at Oklahoma on a Saturday that I had to stop at a Coles and buy a sport coat because that night I was flying to Denver to do an NBA game with Hubie Brown as a fill. I think they added that game. That was the year the Golden State Warriors. Remember they started 24-0? It was before they got to the 24 wins. That was the, the, the 2016 team that won 73 games. They added a Warriors game at Denver to that schedule. So I didn't quite have seven and seven or five and five, but I had four and five that included college football and college basketball and an NBA game I wasn't ready for 24 hours earlier. That was a crazy trip. Uh, Mark Kestesher, the do-it-all, his the voice, uh, lead play-by-play voice for the NBA on ESPN Radio. You'll hear him uh, as pretty much everywhere. He's a fixture at events like All-Star Weekend, NBA Finals, the Draft, World Series, the MLB All-Star Game. Now, are you part of the All-Star Game uh, Monday night? I, You know, I'm, I've been a part of Home Run Derby and All-Star since 2009. The pandemic of 2020 ended that streak because we were in the bubble. Um, and actually, there was no uh, – was there a baseball All-Star Game that year? There was none, right? Because the, the season didn't start till later. And then in 21, the NBA schedule got shifted right. because we ended so late. So the NBA finals were in mid-July. I was not able to participate. This year, I won't be as participating as I usually do, which is on site. It's at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. I'll be part of the Tuesday coverage. I'll be in Bristol. Um, Hopefully, it'll sound like I'm in L.A. with uh, Buster Olney and Tim Kirkton and all those guys. But it won't be my traditional. That is one of uh, the best events, interesting events for me, because we don't have a set on the infield at whatever stadium we're in. It's usually Buster, Tim, and myself with wireless microphones, and Major League Baseball is moving us like every 20 minutes because an event is happening. It's all pre do an hour-long pregame. We start behind home plate. Hey, can you move over on the first baseline? Hey, can you go in the third base dugout? And so unbeknownst to anyone, the show sounds like, you know, we're just sitting somewhere right. on the infield. But, you know, at one point, you know, I'm right next to guys that are going out uh, to be introduced along the third base line. And so I, I always uh, – I always try to remember where I am at that time, at time and place, because it all goes so fast. The events come and go. You never know when you're still going to be asked to go do these events. I'm going to miss being on the field at Dodger Stadium this year in L.A., but I have so many great memories of those baseball all-star game pregame shows, uh, and it's been uh, so much fun to be a part of them over the years. Well, if you've heard a signature event or any event on ESPN Radio, there's a good chance Mark Kestesher called it and you've heard his voice a Syracuse alum, Gilderland, New York, which is up by Albany. I've visited 
Clifton Park, Queensbury, Saratoga, Lake George. It's a fantastic area, but no pro teams, Mark. Uh, so how does uh, your background in Gilderland, New York, you know, uh, no NBA there, how does that kind of full circle you to where you are now? Well, it's interesting. Uh, the geography of uh, Gilderland and Albany is it's pretty far east, uh, three hours north of New York City. So you're almost to the Massachusetts border. And so when I grew up, you know, you were either a Dom Mattingly fan or you were a Wade Boggs <laughs> fan. Yankees, Red Sox, Mets as well. Of course, we can't forget, you know, the mid-80s uh, uh, with the Mets. They, they were definitely a rival as well. Uh, when I was growing up in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, the Patriots, the Giants, the Jets, and the Bills all stunk. So you were a Cowboys fan or a Steelers fan. I think I was a Vikings fan when I was like seven years old for some reason. Um, and then hockey, obviously, Montreal was just three hours north. So that was always uh, a favorite for everyone in my area. And then in the early 80s, we started getting these minor league teams. We got a minor league basketball team, the Albany Patroons, and Phil Jackson wasn't the first coach, but he came in in that first year and they won a championship shortly thereafter. So ninth grade, 12-year-old Mark would go to the Albany Armory and watch the Patroons. And my dad was a huge Phil Jackson Knicks fans, you know, from the early 70s with their championship teams. So that was a bonding experience. Then the Albany Yankees came in in the early 80s. And um, professional baseball, that was my love. I remember going to work and then I'd head over to Heritage Park to watch baseball games. Uh, a lot of the Yankees that would be a part of that 96 championship team were on the team when I was their intern in 1989 and subsequent years, Jeter came later, Posada came later, Andy Pettit came through there as well. Um, so, you know, from a professional standpoint, you just staked out probably who your dad's favorite team was. Uh, if you got a chance to go three hours to New York or go two and a half hours to Boston, it was maybe once or twice a season. So we grew up on these minor league teams and Saratoga, of course, is, you know, the thoroughbred capital of the world in the summertime. Uh, we loved going to the track. Joe Tessitore, who um, uh, his mother and my parents had stores in the same mall. <laughs> so I, Joe and I grew up in the same town, but he went to a private school. I went to public school. And my first year as the Albany Firebirds radio announcer, uh, he cold called me. There was an article in the local paper about this 21-year-old doing Albany Firebirds radio. And so he called me and said he wanted to be my analyst. And I said, well, they barely have enough money to pay me. And he's like, I'm not worried about getting paid. I just want to get on the air. He was a student at Boston College, who, by the way, I don't know if you know this, fun fact, Bob Wischusen, Joe Tessitore, you know what I'm talking about, and Book Shambi were all roommates at Boston College. I didn't know that at the time. So me and Joe Tessitore were uh, the radio crew of the Albany Firebirds in, I forget what year, 1991, traveling the country together, calling Firebirds games. Um, so it was, it was a great place to grow up. We didn't have that professional team. Syracuse was only a couple hours to the West. So, uh, you had great college basketball. You had to, you had to drive a little bit to get to the professional games, but we all love the minor league teams. A great road travel for Mark Kestisher. And we appreciate him being a part of this week's announcer schedule podcast. Yes. Uh, uh, Bob was told us a little bit of that background, uh, I just had Boog Shambi on my radio show here recently uh, and made a little bit of reference to that. So uh, it all comes full circle. Mark Kestisher, uh, the voice, the lead NBA voice on ESPN Radio and various other sports on ESPN Radio, some television as well. And, Mark, it's been great to catch up with you here. I almost feel like we've done this twice. 
<laughs> you know what? I, there's one thing I don't like talking about is myself. And when I talk about myself twice, it's even that much more <laughs> difficult. It's great. Well, hey, thank you guys thanks so much, great. Mark. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Mark. Mark Kestesher, everybody, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio. Phil, there's Mark, a great story, the Albany region, and he talked about all those broadcasters. What a cool little you know spot to kind of start your career in. It sounds like uh, if you want to be a broadcaster, Albany, New York might be the spot for you. Yeah, that part of the country. There's something about it, obviously, the, the Syracuse um, broadcasting legacy as well. And just a great conversation there with Mark, uh, really getting deep in, in terms of his background and all these opportunities that he's had, working with all these fantastic analysts as well. Uh, you know, really great stuff. Really appreciate Mark joining the show. Very cool. Yeah. Mark Hestershire, uh, episode eight in the books here for the announcer, uh, announcer schedule podcast. Follow Phil uh, at announcer sheds. Like, rate, review, subscribe. You can tweet at us if you have questions like we've answered some questions today. Uh, and uh, another episode in the books. We had a lot of information packed in with a nice interview there uh, for Mark Hester. So, Uh, For Phil, I'm Mike. This has been episode eight of the Announcer Schedules podcast. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.